Welcome to the Bob Siegel Show podcast on the Cross Global Media Radio Network. Visit cgmradio.com slash bob to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. That I do want to talk today is about something that it's a lot of people may not be paying as much attention to it as they should be, and that's the Ukraine war. Now, obviously, I know you've had quite a different take on that. I do have a take on it, and unless you're watching, happen to be watching Tucker Carlson in a thumbnail, the narrative of the war is NATO, United States, Ukraine, Zelensky, good, Russia, Putin, bad. That's pretty much the narrative, right? I mean, if you read the news, you know, things like that. I mean, I've read every nuance, every story. I mean, it's, it's actually almost funny. Oh, Russians aren't going to win because they're all drinking themselves to death. I mean, literally, there's stories like that. The Russians are so corrupt that before this war, oh, no, the Russian juggernaut. That's what people thought. But once, to be frank, after the initial invasion failed, I mean, it did turn out that Putin's intelligence probably corruption-degraded intelligence, did not tell them the real deal, did not tell them how well-trained their Ukrainian military was, did not tell them their morale. He thought that he could go in there and quickly take over Kiev. And I believe the reason he did this, and been reading, that he wanted to be in a position to negotiate Ukraine staying neutral. He does not want Ukraine. Ukraine's full of Ukrainian nationalists who don't like Russia. He doesn't really want all of Ukraine. What really started this, if you want to understand, is it goes back to 1991 when we saw the dissolution of the Soviet Union and the negotiations between Gorbachev and the Western powers about reunifying Germany. And as part of the reunification discussions, Baker, Secretary of State Baker, said, yeah, you agree and you support reunifying Germany and NATO will not expand toward Russia. We're going to leave you alone. We're not going to do that. And also Helmut Kohl, the German chancellor, said the same thing. Gorbachev in his memoirs said that's one of the reasons he agreed to be on board with reunifying Germany. And lo and behold, they reunified Germany, and then immediately NATO starts expanding. Now, purposes of NATO, NATO was formed in 1949. The express purpose was to actually contain the Soviet Union. That was the purpose of NATO. So with the dissolution of the uh, the Soviet Union, you know, you have Russia, and NATO, you know, has, has won the war, you know, and I think it was Reagan and uh, Margaret Thatcher and Helmut Kohl together, that triangle there that just forced Russia to realize they couldn't outspend the United States. But at the time, by the way, at the time in 1989, the second largest economy in the world was the Soviet Union. They had 280 million people. We had 230 million people. They had 40,000 tanks. They had twice as many nuclear weapons as we had. I mean, it was a juggernaut. You Now you have the dissolution of the Soviet Union. The GDP drops by 50%. Their military crumbles and falls apart. And during that 10 to 12-year period, all NATO does is keep adding on new NATO countries. So 17 countries in 1991, today 31 countries. And all the time Russia's saying, hey, we don't believe NATO's a harmless, wonderful, peace-loving organization. We see NATO and the United States being involved with wars all over the world, dumping millions of pounds of bombs. We don't want to have a 1,200-mile border with NATO troops poised on that border and weapons and missiles placed into Ukraine. We don't want that. We want Ukraine to stay neutral. Now, that's something that's going on, okay? So to say that Russia was not provoked is ridiculous, okay? So, but that's... That's only part of the equation. The other part of the equation is understanding a little bit about Ukraine. You've got Eastern Ukraine, which is heavily Russian. And in the last few election cycles, there were actually real genuine elections, particularly 2010. These were internationally monitored elections. They had the international monitors come in, which you called the pro-Russian party candidate won, like 48 to 45 percent. And then you had the nationalist candidate. The two parties, by the way, these are important names. One is the party of regions. That was the pro-Russian candidate. And basically, the thing is, hey, we want to maintain our individual Russian culture. We want 
want to be able to speak language in our provinces and areas. And then you have the Ukrainian nationalist says, no, you're going to speak the Ukrainian languages. And there's been a lot of persecution of the Russian ethnic Russians by the Ukrainian nationalists over the years. And now let's remember that Ukraine was one of the countries that most completely collaborated with the Nazis on the final solution. They were running the the executions of the Jews in the country. So you have this ongoing conflict going on there. And along comes 2014, and this duly elected president, Viktor Kriyashenko, I'd have to have his name here, but he is pushed out with a violent revolution. It's a coup, a violent coup supported by the United States and CIA. This is very well acknowledged. You have lots of sources. You actually have Voice transcripts of U.S. operatives in there talking about the elections and how they're going to, to, to organize things and stuff like that. So here's the democratically elected pro-Russian candidate who had barely won, but he had won, and he's tossed out. He has to flee the country because where the seat of power, Kiev, is surrounded, that's the Ukrainian nationalist part of the country. If he had stayed there, he didn't have the base there. The eastern part of the country is where the Russians are. It's you know about a third of the country. So he flees the country, and that's in February of 2014. And by May of 2014, they hold what's called rump elections, and they put in a Ukrainian nationalist candidate. And the folks from eastern Ukraine don't get to vote in this election cycle. So they're completely disenfranchised. And Crimea says, enough is enough. After they tossed out their candidate that they had supported work to get anything, they said, hey, we've been Russian for most of our history. Crimea was part of Russia for 200 years. Then under the Soviet Union, the Soviet Union said, hey, Ukraine, you could administer Crimea because you've done a good job being a member of the Soviet Union. So for 50 years, a heavily Russian part of the world was under the administration of Ukraine. But After the violent overthrow of the pro-Russian candidate, they said, forget it. And Russia went in there and they said, yeah, we want to be part of Russia. So this idea that of liberating Crimea, Crimea does not want to be liberated. They want to be part of Russia. Now, here's the other aspect here is that the thing that precipitated the riots and the violence against the pro-Russian president, the democratically elected, remember, he was democratically elected, verified and validated by international observers, is that he wanted to accept the aid deal from Russia. Russia was going to give him $15 billion, no strings attached, and 33% off on on natural gas and oil. And the NATO deal was, hey, we're going to put in stringency measures. NATO, to be fair, they wanted them to put in stringency measures and other measures to get rid of the corruption, but there was no definitive aid. The deal looked much better to come from the Russians. And when he said he was going to go with the Russian deal, that was the final straw. And then the the pro-NATO forces rose up and they tossed him out. So when you're talking about democracy, there hasn't been democracy, really genuine democracy in Ukraine since at least 2014. And as you've been following, he has shut... Zelensky is shut down. There's no freedom of the press. He's gotten rid of every opposing party. There's no elections. So it is really strictly an authoritarian government. So we're not talking about defending democracy here. So that is the situation. Then you have the Donbass region, which is Luhansk and Donetsk regions. These are the regions that, you know, shortly into 2014, they said, hey, we've had enough of this Ukrainian nationalist stuff. By the way, the Ukrainian nationalist party is called the Fatherland Party. Which reminds us a lot of the Nazis. Well, and and it should because... That's what Hitler called it, the Fatherland. The shock troops, the ones that were at the forefront of this violent revolution, was called the Azov Brigade. And they are flat out 
neo-Nazis they recruited from around the world. Within two years previous to that 2014 revolution where they overthrew the Juliet government, they had been talking about you know, eliminating all the Jews. So this is this is the things you're not hearing. Now, and this is, as I said, you can find this in The Guardian, you can find this in lots of Western media sources. However, if you just read Fox News or you just read CNBC or, you know, and as I said, with an exception, maybe Tucker Carlson, you know, he has had obviously not been too happy with the situation there. Um, and you're not calling Russia virtuous. You're just trying no, to show people. No, there's and another side to this. there's another country called China that seems to be taking over the entire world well, and we're yeah, bogged down yeah, over and, here. Yeah, so we're looking at Russia that is a, listen, Russia is still a military power. But it's a pale shadow of what it was when it was the Soviet Union. We're not China talking about China is the no, concern now. China is, be the concern. is more powerful than the Soviet Union was at its height. So you've got Russia with an economy of $1.7 trillion. Our economy is $23 trillion. China's economy is $17 trillion. You know, NATO's economy is, uh, I think, $35 trillion. I mean, the, the threat is overblown. The thing that I really saddens me about this whole situation is if you read the reports from the Western media, they'll document, you know, and I don't know how good these are, but they'll say, you know, today, 200 Russian troops were eliminated, along with 10 armored personal vehicles, three tanks, and three artillery systems. Then you go find non-Western sources, and they'll say, today, 150 Ukrainian soldiers were eliminated today. Eliminated means killed, Bob. And 20 armored personal vehicles killed, and they, we took out three artillery systems, and you go back and do these reports. Every day, hundreds of young men are dying in this battle. And sadly, I think that we have this holdover from the Cold War where we have people on the you know, more conservative side, you know, people like Ted Cruz, people like that, that are you know, still thinking of Russia as the Soviet Union. Russia is not the Soviet Union. You know, Russia is far from perfect. It's, you know, they were listed one of the, as one of the top two corrupt countries in Europe in terms of the government, you know, corruption, payola, things like that. You know, the other top two country was Ukraine. And speaking of that, um, you may recall that you know, Zelensky dis- dismissed 10 of his highest advisors and members of his government over corruption. Well, what they don't know is that Zelensky was part of that corruption as well. He's skimming off the top. $400 million of aid from the United States has been skimmed. And there was another- Well, tw- and the Bidens are part of that corruption. Right. right. So we, we sit there. So, But the bottom line is every day, hundreds of young men are dying on these lines. And also civilians, too. There's civilians there. And by the way, that's another lie. Okay, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Russia has been attacking civilian infrastructure targets like the power grid targets. By the way, we attacked the power grid when we went into Iraq. So talk of Putin being a war criminal. I'm a little bit worried about that because if you would apply the standards that they're trying to apply to Putin, you could start, you know, saying a lot of things about the United States has done in other regimes throughout the world and things like that. So but let's let's get back here to the point of is so we have this ongoing slaughter taking place. It's brutal. This is high intensity conflict. We're talking artillery battles like we have not seen since World War One, World War II back even. So massed artillery striking in and killing people from, you know, 15, 20 miles away, back and forth. Now, right now, Russia, though, has a massive advantage in artillery. So while the Western media is saying, you know, Russia has been the one taking the casualties, I'm reading reports from non-Western side that it says it's exactly inverted, that, you know, for every Russian that dies, seven Ukrainians are dying, whereas the Western media is saying, now, is it somewhere in between? Probably. But the thing is, is in a year from now, there's no way 
if you look at the military equation, that Ukraine can win this war. So a year from now, and tens of thousands of deaths, 20, 30, 40,000 deaths, we could be back, we could be in the exact same situation that we are today, which is basically, we have to negotiate with Russia and the war, and Russia's going to sit there and say, this, this is another interesting fact, is that the thing that precipitated Russia, that forced Russia to go in into Ukraine, was that after the violent overthrow of the pro-Russian government, you know, democratic elected government in 2014, the United States and the other NATO countries started training and building up Ukraine's military. So as of late January, early February, there was 120,000 well-trained Ukrainian troops on the borders of Donetsk and Luhansk, DPR and LPR. So the Donetsk Republic and the Luhansk Republic, they're basically facing 40,000 troops on the other side, the separatists, ready to come in and take out a forcibly repatriate eastern Ukraine. And Russia said, no, this is a Russian culture folks here. We don't want this to happen. Now, that's what they say. That's what Russia says. That's what Putin says. They says that was what precipitated their invasion. Was Putin's thinking, hey, this is a good excuse to do it? You know, maybe some cynicism there. Hey, here's a good excuse because I really wanted this region anyway. And now Ukraine and NATO has set it up to make it a good excuse. Hey, possibly. I don't know what's in Putin's mind, but that is the situation. There was 120,000 troops right on the border ready to, to forcibly force folks who did not want to be part of the Ukraine to be back and part of the Ukraine. That goes to the thing is that we forget there was a civil war going on, a civil war in Ukraine. It was Eastern Ukrainians, Russian culture, Russian ethnicity, Russian language, re revolting against Ukraine. And that's what we got involved with in NATO. That's what we've spent over $100 billion on trying to force to give Ukraine the, the firepower to forcibly resolve this. Now, of course, the Eastern Ukrainians, the Russian culture Ukrainians or they're probably not calm this more, were being supported by the Russians. Yeah, so the Russians who have a 1,200-mile border with Ukraine are involved with this, Bob. Isn't that crazy? A 1,200-mile border, and they want to be involved with what's happening on the 1,200 miles of the border. Let's ask a question here. Let's say, hypothetically, Russia were to go and said, hey, we're going to install nuclear missiles into Cuba. You know what? Do you think the United States would like that? Or what would you think if we, if we decided to, if Russia decided to install Missiles into well, we Cuba. already know how we felt about well, that. Well, how would we know that, Bob? <laughs> because that happened. Oh, what if China said, hey, you know what? We're forming a new uh, military security coalition, and Mexico's joining it. And we're going to base 50,000, 60,000 Chinese troops on the Mexican border. And we're going to put in a whole bunch of nuclear missiles right on that border there. How do you think we do you think we would sit there and take it quietly? Uh, well, who knows what the Biden administration would do. But if you mean what a sane administration would do, no, of course. they. OK, don't. so I'm just I'm just saying now I'm just trying to say things from another perspective, because I will tell you a year ago, my perspective was, hey, Russia bad, Putin bad. <laughs> Uh, a year ago, I was thinking this, and I and it's it's been like, oh wow, I didn't realize the fact that it's a civil war that we're getting involved with a civil war. So behind the curtains, what do you think is the real agenda of our nation and NATO getting behind this? Do you know it's it is weird. Somebody's getting something out of well, this. Well, first of all, there's a, a select group of Ukrainians that are getting wealthy right now. There's no doubt about that. That's happening there. Our arms companies in the United States, we're spending, expending billions and billions of dollars. Uh, we've sent over billions of dollars. So it's weaponry. similar to the way so many of our companies and politicians are beholding to China. There's a lot of beholding in the Ukraine as well. That's a known equation. We do know that the Biden family is involved. We know the involved. Hunter they, Yeah, we're involved with corrupt a corrupt thing. So there also could be the aspect that the folks there that are in power basically said, hey, Biden, we expect support otherwise here. So what I, I want people to understand is that there is more than, okay, let's just ask a question here. We're getting our information from Western media and Western intelligence sources. Over the last six or seven years, Bob, 
has Western media and the Western intelligence been confidence-inspiring to you? Not in the slightest. Okay, so this is the same groups of people that are telling us what we're supposed to believe about this whole conflict. And I'm going to say is the same people that lied to us about yeah, everything about smell COVID-19. smell a rat based on the source no matter what. Right, I mean, and Putin's not a crazy man. He's not a sociopath. Is he ruthless? Yes. Is he competent? Yes. He's a competent guy. You don't rise to the top. You know, don't don't become a top guy in the KGB and don't rise to the top <laughs> in the doggy world of the Russian politics without being a tough and ruthless guy. He is. At the same time, he has also led reforms in Russia to reinstate Christianity in the church there. Now, not perfect because he's favored the Russian Orthodox Church. However, evangelical churches can and do exist in Russia. They are allowed Which to Which is something they weren't allowed to during no, the Soviet no. Union's and reign. You know why we are doing this? It is, it's still a mystery. I just think that there was, okay, you had a huge intelligence apparatus that was fighting the Soviet KGB. You had the State Department, you had the CIA, you had thousands and billions of dollars being spent, and then the Soviet Union collapses. And then you have this huge intelligence apparatus saying, what are we going to do here? What's our so purpose? So you think they still want to associate Russia with well, the Soviet I, Union, I, that kind of a projection? I, you know, it's, all I'll say is Russia is not one-tenth the threat that China is. Russia really, I believe that Russia really wanted Ukraine to stay neutral. Russia doesn't want to, to become part of Russia, because then if you have Ukraine part of Russia, then it's still going to be right up to up, up against NATO countries. Russia wanted to have that. And I feel very sad for the Ukrainian people because they're stuck in the middle. It was NATO and the United States that pushed this into this war. And I, they do believe they're fighting a fight for their existence as a country, an existential fight. However, when you do surveys of Russian citizens, they believe they're in a fight for the existence of Russia. But right now, the people paying the biggest price are the Ukrainian people. I mean, their country is being devastated. Eight million Ukrainians have fled out of 40 million, something like that. Their infrastructure has been destroyed. I mean, one of the things Russia is doing is they say, hey, we, we know we're going to have to be fighting in these cities to get what we want, to build up a buffer against NATO. And so they will take out the civilian infrastructure. And when they do that, there are some civilian casualties. They'll take out the power grid and things like that. Basically, the goal is to make the city unhabitable so that citizens will leave. So when they're fighting there, there'll be less casualties. That's been the goal. But remember, even, even as this war has been going on, the Ukrainian military has been lobbing artillery shots into Donetsk. Into, into civilian areas. And in the period between 2014 and 2022 February, some 14,000 people were killed in fighting between the Ukrainian military forces, the armed forces of Ukraine, and the Donetsk separatists. And a lot of those casualties were civilians. So civilians are dying on both sides. It's not just Russia where civilians are dying. Ukrainian military forces are killing Russians as well. And the Azov Brigade, which was the neo-Nazi, was known for immense brutality and atrocities. But the United States did not want to look at it. NATO did not want to look at it. And a lot of the international community, which is heavily influenced, did not want to look at that. So it's the, the point of this whole thing is, is that we need to get to the negotiating table. Because I don't see militarily there's any chance Ukraine can win. I believe that Ukraine is in a much worse state militarily than what the Western media has been saying. And those documents that were released, by the way, Bomb, they basically indicate that. They indicate that Ukraine's military is much worse off than what the Biden administration and other sources have been telling us. So let's negotiate. Let's not force people who don't want to be part of Ukraine to be part of Ukraine. And let's stop the killing. And as far as our own national interests, there seem to be far more important things, like I can think of about 20 right now that are just threatening the survival of our country. Well, we and we're all internally down and putting all of our eggs our in this border, basket. Our border is 1,000 times more of a threat to our country 
than Ukraine. Ukraine is not a national well, and we have interest. a weaponized FBI. And China is reaching across and shaking hands with Russia and Saudi Arabia and Iran. Talk about an axis of evil. I think they're even pulling North Korea well, in. And, I mean, they- And I will argue this is Russia has always had a very uneasy relationship with China. China has always had an uneasy relationship with Russia. So what we did is we but forced... they're uniting we, over the weakling we, president we, we have and the well, fact that they can do any darn thing they want right it's, now. This policy has... When Trump tried to start working to create more positive relationships with Russia, he was destroyed and shot down. Well, because he walked into the narrative they wanted to paint for him. Right. Well, and, and but the thing is that also anything that he did, I mean, and think about it, over the period of time of Trump's presidency, who was demonized during that period of time? Who was demonized? The Russians and Putin, right? Right. And that could be a holdover right now because of Trump's association with Russia. It's like, oh, Russia's the bad guys. That makes Trump the bad guy. That, that is what that is. And a yet, part look of the- at the alliances that China has right now. Yeah, that's part and of it. And isn't China well, getting ready to just take over Taiwan? Well, too? They, they could be. And I'll say this is there's some folks that are just saying that. They are lumping the, the China threat and the Russia threat together. I don't agree with them. I think that you can sit there and say Russia is a legitimate threat, but it's a small threat compared to China. And Russia, if it does take Ukraine, it's not going to attack a NATO country. And it's not going to be on our doorstep. But on it's, the other hand, if Russia and China unite, I still see China as the well, primary threat. But if Russia just gets under the umbrella of China, we've got real trouble on our hands. Well, that puts a, a very strong And Saudi Arabia is now making deals yeah. with uh, Hamas and selling Israel up the river. Yeah. A lot of the peace negotiations that Trump had done in the Middle so, East. Putin's not a nice guy. I'm not saying that he is, but there is more to this story than what you've been told. And NATO and the United States did provoke this. They set up the conditions that created the war. They absolutely did set up the conditions that created the war. And yeah, we have lots of defense companies making lots of money on this war. And I also think I don't trust Biden's motives on this war, because I do think it's very possible that they have blackmail material on Biden. Probably they do. Well, Mike, as always, you bring a very unique perspective from the news. We hope you'll come back and join us again really soon. This is Bob Siegel and Mike Friedenberg making the obvious obvious. The Bob Siegel Show podcast is a production of Bob Siegel and Cross Global Media. Visit us online and subscribe to the show at cgmradio.com slash bob.